right, let's pray just a moment before we start. Father, we thank you again for just to be here with your people. And Lord, for the privilege it is to open your word and God, have your spirit speak to us through your word. Father, I thank you for the time of prayer that we've had. And Lord, we're grateful that you've called us and told us to. Um, God, that your ears are open when your children cry out to you. And Father, you're a faithful father that hears us when we pray. And Father, we thank you too that you're our great sovereign God who answers in a way that you know is best. God, for our good and for your glory. And so we ask you as we study your word together tonight that, um, God, that you would work in each of our hearts. God, to draw us closer to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I want to preface what before we start tonight was something that um, I don't know about you, but I need a constant reminder of something that, that nothing I do can ever make God love, love me more. And nothing I do wrong can ever make, me, make God love me less. And that because if we're in Christ, we can never be in a more favorable position with God than we are right now. I mean, that's an incredible thing to, to, to know. And there's a lot of protection in that. And one who follows Christ will not see that as a license to just live any way we want to live. Um, you know, love's a great motivator. And God's love for us and our love for him should govern us. And, um, and, and the reason I'm, it's funny how, um, how God gets all up in my Cheerios. I, I, uh, you know, I come across a verse and it just, it, it just things just go from there. And I, I, the other day, I posted one on, on social media, and I had there were a bunch of people responded to it. And I, I mean, I just sometimes I put them on there because it it spoke to me. And, and it's out of Psalm chapter one forty one, verse three. And here's what David asked part of his prayer here. He says, "Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth." Keep watch over the door of my lips. And I know we're probably all very familiar with, with James's take on the tongue. You know, that it's a, I mean, it's set on fire from hell. And that nobody can control the tongue. And, and as I settled on this, I realized I cannot control my tongue. I can't. I'm unable uh, Kirby prayed a couple times. He mentioned something that, that we can't do anything without God. I mean, and that's, that's true. And I'm grateful for the Spirit's presence in our life because it's only by the Holy Spirit that, 
that we can ever walk in a way that, um, that honors the Lord. It's by the Holy Spirit's power at work in us. And that's the only way my tongue is going to ever be throttled. And the problem is, of course, with our tongue, it's not our physical tongue. It's our heart. It's our heart. And we'll get to that in a moment. But, but as the more I got to studying this and looking at it, I realized that there's, there's an issue of, of self-control here. And the Bible speaks a lot about that. I, I, I normally read a chapter of Proverbs every day. It's part of my devotion. Whatever the date is, I think I mentioned this, I'll read that chapter of Proverbs. Well, earlier this week in, chapter, in Proverbs chapter 25, um, listen to what Proverbs 25 verse 28 says, the last verse in chapter 25. It says, the man without self-control is like a city that is broken down without walls. Whenever I, and, and you know, you can, you can tell when somebody loses control, that's, it's usually their mouth. Is it not? Outbursts of anger, and I mean, that's usually where it's, that's the indicator of it. And so <clears throat> Solomon says that for me to not be, have self-control, I, I, it's like a city that has no protection at all around. You leave yourself open to every single thing that can come against you. you have, there's no protection from the enemy. I mean, when I lose control of myself, I leave myself open to anything in the world the way the enemy wants to come against me. And I, I found a couple of examples of this. And I, I, want, I want to read you something. Uh, it's just... Um, Well, I lost my internet connection. Hang on a minute. I'll have to. Y'all bear with me. I'll get there. Y'all bear with me. Hang on. Well, now you tell me. Uh -huh. I hot spotted with my phone. <laughs> and it's funny, I, I, I found a couple of examples. There's a According to Reuters News Service, on Wednesday, November 9th, 1994, Jeffrey Maine of West Haven, Connecticut, pulled his car up to an intersection and thought he noticed a problem with his brakes. He shifted the car into park and got out of the car to check his wheels. With no one at the driver's seat, the car suddenly slipped into reverse and took off backwards at high speed. The steering wheel spun and the car began to circle round and round in the middle of a busy intersection during rush hour. The police and fire department were called and the car kept circling at high speed, blocking morning rush hour traffic. For almost two hours, 
With no end in sight, finally the authorities devised a plan. They positioned tractor trailers to block traffic. Then they simultaneously drove three front-end loaders, big, heavy earth-moving equipment, the type uh, into the out-of-control car. With the car pinned, firefighters broke the driver's side window, reached in, and turned off the ignition. The car, as you would guess, suffered extensive damage. That's the way when we lose our self-control, that's what happens. We don't just hurt people around us, we hurt ourselves. And the damage caused is incalculable. Um, there was a woman named Sandra that had an unusual problem, and it would ruin her entire family. She lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, with her husband, Alexander, and three children, ages two, three, and five. When her husband could no longer bear with her problem, he moved out of the house. Two weeks later, he called their police to report his wife was neglecting the children. The police drove to Sandra's apartment and found deplorable conditions. The children's playroom was littered with broken glass and debris, and there were children's handprints and human feces all over the room. Sandra's problem said her husband was a compulsion for surfing the Internet. She spent up to 12 hours a day at her computer. The police sergeant said she would lock the children in the room so as not to be bothered. The place was complete shambles, but the computer area was clean, completely immaculate. Police immediately took custody of the children and charged Sandra with three counts of child endangerment. She lacked any measure of self-control whatsoever to the point of neglecting her preschool children. Now, I, and I know nobody like that is, is here. But as, in some measure, we all need to better exercise self-control. All of us do. Every one of us do. As I... As I began to really dig in, and you know, it's, it's one of the, of the, it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, self-control. And, and as I thought, I, I began to see this as, you know, it, it's, I've always heard that there, it's not fruits, plural, it's one, fruit of the Spirit. Well, why is that? Because each one is interdependent on the other. I mean, you can't have self-control and lack peace. You can't have gentleness unless you love. They're, all, they're inter interdependent. And it's not you start with one and work towards getting it, and then you add another. They all, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And self-control is one of those. And one of the things that I... I I've, in Joshua chapter 22, and you don't have to turn there. I'm gonna, it's a long chapter. But after, you know, it's toward the end of Joshua's life. And you remember that, um, that part of Israel, uh, Manasseh, half-tribe Manasseh and, um, and Gad and, um, I just went blank. Who was it on the other side of the Jordan? Half the tribe of Manasseh, Gad and Ephraim. We're on, we're on one side of the Jordan, and they remember they went to help the other tribes fight and, and secure their, the land of Israel. Well, after it all had settled out, 
Well, Manasseh and <coughs> Gad and Ephraim built an altar on the banks of the Jordan River. They weren't going to sacrifice on it. They just built it as a memorial, as a, um, just a marker that, hey, we're one people. Well, later on, the tribes of Israel that were on the west side of the Jordan heard that they had done that, and they thought that they were going to burn sacrifices on that altar. And so they, they mustered an army together. They were going to go destroy them, their people on the other side of the Jordan. So they get there. And they light into him. Phineas, you know, one of the priests, just lays them out and says, well, what are you doing? And the tribe, listen, they never got uh, offended by the accusation. Here's what happened. The tribes on the west side of Jordan misunderstood the intentions of Manasseh, Gad, and Ephraim. They misunderstood their intentions. They weren't going to use it for worship. It was just as a, a marker to say, hey, look, we're one with you. We're, they're going to worship according to God's word at the tabernacle, and that's the only place we're going to burn sacrifice. But when they came and, and laid all these accusations against them, they didn't respond until they were through. And then they said, guys, wait. This is why this is here. We're not going to burn sacrifice on it. We're not going to be guilty of false worship. And when they heard that, they blessed them. Now, listen, Gad and Ephraim and Manasseh, the half-tribe of Manasseh, were an example to me of just, they just were quiet while they were, these people were, lay, were laying their accusations against them. They didn't get all bent out of shape and say, look, you know, and didn't start a big argument. They let them vent. Now, venting is a problem in and of itself. But they let them vent, and then when they got through, they said, look, here's what's happening. But you know what happens is, I'm just using myself as an example. I like the self-control when somebody accuses me. I mean, the minute it starts getting heated, I want to start what? What do we want to do? When we're accused of something falsely, what do we want to do? Defend ourselves. How much self-control does it take to not defend yourself? Do what? My dad, something my dad's dad, my, my grandfather, said when I was young, I, I probably wasn't 10 years old. I had never forgotten it. And he said, they said, Steve, if you're wrong, you don't have anything to say. And if you're right, you don't need to say anything. And I thought, you know, I, this 10-year-old mind just, just hung on to that. Now, listen, I've not always lived by it, you know, because I, you know, I, it, you know it's, it's pride, isn't it? It's pride. I want to defend myself. And, you know, that's one of the things that, that causes argument. And that's one of the things that fractures relationships is trying to defend my, and listen, trying to protect myself. Trying to protect myself. Um, 
We had a fundraiser years ago for a church member. And one of the people that was there had um, some items to sell, and they were too big to, to take home. I had to get a truck, and so my son-in-law came with me, and we got them. And so I put the money for them, for what I bought, in with the, the collection box that we had for the auction, you know, or for the, it was like a big yard sale. <clears throat> and that was what, three years ago? About three years ago. The person who owned those two large items, I ran into him at Walmart. Excuse me, I ran into his wife at Walmart, and she said, well, he wants to see you. I said, okay. So I went out to the vehicle, and I thought, well, good to see him, you know. And so he immediately lit into me that I didn't pay him for those items. I said, well, wait, that was, you were selling as part of the fundraiser. I said, I, said, I put the money in the box where we're collecting the money. And he said, those weren't part of the auction. Those were mine. I was selling those. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me that day? He said, I never got my money. I said, I put it in the box. And, you know, I could have just told him to stick it. You know? <laughs> I... But I gave him... $25 for because it wasn't worth fighting over it. I knew I put the money in there. I mean, I listen, I know, I'll tell you why I know. Because <laughs> I went to that that day. Debbie and I both had some money. And she bought some things. I had $70. And those two items together were 50 And I bought some other little things for the grandkids that they wanted and stuff. So and I left there, and I had no money. I, I mean, I know. I put the money in there. And so, but rather than out there in the middle of Walmart parking lot getting a fight about it, you know, not a fist of cuffs, but I don't think anybody's going to throw hands. But, um, but I thought, hey, it's better to just put 20, give him $25 than it is um, and, you know, I, I know he still wasn't satisfied. I, I don't know why. Um, anyway, I don't always respond correctly. I don't always respond correctly. But God enables me at times, and he does all of us, at times to respond in the right way, and we need to learn from that. Because, see, I, I naturally want to just bow up and get all up in his face about it. You know, I mean, that's, that's what I, but I told him. I, as I handed the money, I said, I don't want there to ever be a question in your mind. There's not in mine, but I don't want there to ever be a question in your mind that I did you wrong. I would rather pay $50 for that one item as to have him think that I stole something from him, and that's what he thought. So, 
Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah why, why three years? I don't, but that's, that's between him and the Lord. You know, I, I, I'm not going to, and I don't hold it against him. If I saw him at Walmart again, I'd, I wouldn't act like, um, Huh? Did I go to his car? Oh, yeah. I ain't gonna give him no more money though. But but you know one of the one of the best examples I I it it's all over in in, in the book of excuse me the book of Proverbs. If you want to turn there just a minute, I'm just gonna look at a couple then. Um, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. Somebody read that. Proverbs 12, 16. So when he says the vexation of a fool is known at once, what do you think he's getting at? Do what? Yeah. Yes. And you know, somebody get you offend a fool and you'll immediately know it. I mean, they'll just explode. But he says the prudent ignores an insult. Man, it's hard, isn't it? To be quiet when somebody insults you or belittles you. But that's prudent. Um, chapter 14, verse 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Makes it makes himself look foolish. Man, I mean, I don't know how many times I've done that in my life. I mean, just got in, just flew into a rage over something. And and looking back, I realized, you know, that anybody that was around there saw me being an, an ignoramus, and it's embarrassing. Do what, Kurt? You do it with your kids. Can you not? 
I mean, I, man, my son knew how to, that boy, I, good gracious. Isn't that son? <laughs> I know. I don't know. I don't know who. I don't And you know, the, here's the reason for that. Because I reproduced myself and my son. And I'm grateful for God's grace. Because God's done a work in both of us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we had five kids. He was the oldest. We had him and then four girls. And look, the minute he graduated high school, he joined the army. And I said, Well, you leave me here all alone. Uh, he <laughs> said, You left about the time you were getting interested. And in, uh, in Proverbs 16 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. Man, it doesn't matter how physically fit you are, you know, what kind of warrior. I mean, back during this time, you know, a, a mighty warrior would have been someone that everybody looked up to, and the writer of Proverbs is saying, look, you see that man? You control your spirit, and you're stronger than he is. It's not... Physical might that matters is strength of character. It's strength of character. And listen, you know how God forms this in someone? You want to know how, if, 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 you're, if you're always one trying to protect yourself and defend yourself, you know how God builds the strength to withstand against that? How do you think he does that? Make you exercise it. Exactly. And it's like, it's, it's like I said the other day, you know, if you, ask for, if you ask God for patience, he doesn't give you patience. He gives you trials, right? That's how God teaches patience. If you're asking God, God, God I, I'm, I'm tired of defending myself. Okay. I'm going to bring somebody across your path at Walmart that's going to demand more money than you that's the way he teaches you. I don't want God to teach me that way. I want him to give me what I'm asking for. But God, God knows that if he just gave it to me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand how it's formed. I would not trust the Holy Spirit to work it out in me. And that's what we have to understand. Um, there are others we could look at, but I'll, I'll turn over to 1 Corinthians just a minute. Chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Basically, what, what self-control means is that it, self, if someone that has self-control, they're able to govern their, their passions, their emotions, their will. Um, that's what it means to, to exercise self-control. 
It means to be able to govern those things. And that comes with maturity. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't at all. Paul, there's, there's three things here that I, I gleaned out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And the first one is it. Uh, it's in, you know, there was a, Paul was being falsely accused of, you know, he wasn't a pastor. He was basically a church planter, a, you know, a missionary. I mean, and, you know, he, he would go, went into Corinth and he, he won some people to Christ. And then they formed a church with those people that, that, uh, that they won to the Lord. And so, and when he would do, he would do that. And then there would be a pastor and then he would leave and go somewhere else. You know, they would set up elders there. So, um, you know, Paul and Barnabas didn't, um, nobody was supporting them. They were depending on the support of the, of the churches that they, they worked at. And so um, in verse 12, I'll just start in verse 12. Um, Paul said, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. Now look what he says. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure everything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. He said, but I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than anyone deprive me of my right for boasting. So here's what Paul is saying. Look, I have that right by God's word for the church to support me. But I'm not demanding my right. Here's what Paul is, here's one mark of of self-control. You're self-sacrificing. Paul was willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of the gospel. Because that was paramount to Paul. If he put his foot down and demanded that the church at Corinth support him, if he demanded it, how open would the church have been to Paul's ministry? They wouldn't have been. But Paul said, look, I don't, my rights don't matter. Boy, I wish I could say that more often. My rights don't matter. I have, the, I have the biblical authority for, to this right. But I'm not going to claim it. Because if I do, it's going to put a hindrance in me proclaiming the gospel. And I'd rather die than that happen. Good gracious. Paul had a lot of self-control. Not only is it self-sacrificial, um, look in verse 19 through 23. He said, for though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are outside the law. To the weak I became this weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I, have, I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. 
Not only is self-control self-sacrificing, it's also selfless. Selfless. There's a measure of selflessness there. Paul said, look, it doesn't matter what people think about me. He said, I, I want to be, be in a position with people where I can share the gospel with them and them not look at me as though I'm making more of myself than I am. It was selfless. And he, and he said, I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. You see what motivated, what motivated Paul, what, what moved him at the core of his being was that he could, was free to share the gospel with any group of people he came around. And he didn't want to do anything that would hinder that in the first place. So it's not just self-sacrificing, it's selfless, but last, um, in verse 24 through 27, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So I run that you may so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So not only is self-control sacrificial and selfless, it also demands a, me demands a measure of self-denial. Self-denial. He, he understood that I've got to control myself. There are behaviors I can't exhibit. There are things I, I, I don't need to do because it's going to hinder my ministry. And it takes a measure. But listen, I can't discipline myself well enough to be, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Don't ever forget that. It's not a fruit of my effort. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in my life to make those, the, the fruit of his work in me evident to other people. You see, what God is concerned about with me, and, I, and I'm, y'all have to understand why I'm, it's not how good a preacher I am. It's, it's not, listen, not first of all how good a pastor, uh, a pastor I am, how good a husband, a father, a friend. God is concerned with Christ being formed in me. And when I yield myself to his work in me to do that, I'll be the pastor and the preacher and the teacher and the husband and the father and the friend that I'm supposed to be. And look, God has to take care of the other stuff anyway. Right? I can't make somebody hear. I can't make somebody... Re Listen, I... It's not my job, my responsibility to bring people to Christ. I could not handle that responsibility. I couldn't handle it. I'm glad. I'm very glad that no one comes to Christ 
unless the Father who sent him draws him. John chapter 6. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I, I'm grateful for that. What I'm called to do, and Kevin and, and teacher, everybody that teaches and preaches, is to present the word faithfully. And then let God do his work with the word in people's hearts. I mean, I, Chris, could you stand it one minute if you thought the... I couldn't handle that weight. Kevin, could you? I couldn't handle it. But God does want to work with a vessel that he's done his work in. That's who God works through. The people who have said, God, here I am. And you know when I do that, I have to say, God, you know what a mess I am. Uh, you know, we, a couple weeks ago or three weeks ago, whatever it was, I right, started looking at, and this is kind of an offshoot of, of um, Defeating Evil by Scott Christensen, that book I mentioned. Because, you know, we, it's easy to look around and see the evil around us, isn't it? We, don't have, we can see it all over the place. I mean, what the perversions that start that, that it, you know, have implanted in the universities around our country it's filtered down through K through 12 now. And I mean, it's just, it's sad what's going on in our world today. But the biggest issue is the evil in my own heart. It's the evil that I, you know, that I, that I uh, participate in. And I mean, whether we want to like it or we're willing to admit it or not, every one of us, we're far worse than we know. And, and I'm just grateful that we have a God who is gracious and patient and long-suffering. Listen, all the things that we want to be because we're, we're followers of Christ, God is an infinitum. I mean, I, 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 I want to be gracious to other people and gentle. God is so much more gentle and gracious and long-suffering than I can even imagine being. And I'm glad because he, if he was as patient as I am, I, I would be, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? So I, I need to be far more thankful for God's character than I am. I need to be. And, and one of the ways that he shows me that is in other people. Because the other believers that I know and know well, I see things in them that I'd like to be real in me. You know? And you know, those are the kind of people you want to be around, aren't they? The kind of people that, that spur you to want to be more like Christ. You know, there are people like that. I, I think it was, um, I think it was A.W. Tozer, you know, that talked about a, a man that when he was around him, he just felt like he wanted to be a better man. 
just being around him. I, I, I remember Martin Lloyd-Jones, his secretary, was his secretary for 40-something years. He said, I never left his office without longing to be more like Christ. What kind of man? I, boy, I'd long to be that kind of man. You know? And I think that, that's the way Paul was. You couldn't have been around him without wanting, without seeing Christ in him. And, you know, we, we, sometimes I think we read about the Apostle Paul and we think, well, he was a harsh man. I don't think he was at all. I don't think he was. He didn't play. You know, he, he didn't have any use for, hypocrit you know, for hypocritical act like Peter. You know, he got in Peter's face about it. When Peter was hypocritical, you know, he talked about it in, in Galatians. But the way, the reason I, I pointed that out in, in Proverbs is because our heart is what governs it. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, abundance of the, heart the mouth speaks. And so the, the way I talk, and, and not just, uh, listen, the way I respond with my speech when things go haywire, that's an indication of my heart. And, and it's like, I, if you, how many of you ever said this? Honey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Anybody ever said that? Are y'all lying or? Yeah. You know what hit me? When it, yeah, Steve, you did mean it. It came from your heart. You didn't mean it. You just didn't want to say it. But you meant it. And that's why Jesus said, by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. That doesn't mean because I've said something I shouldn't have said that I'll be condemned. What it means is that the word, the way I speak is a condition, shows the condition of my heart, whether, whether I've received a new heart or not. Uh, you know, Jeremiah 17, 9 said, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't know our own hearts. God's given us a new heart. As a believer, he's given us a new heart. But that doesn't mean that everything that is ungodly is gone. Wouldn't it have been nice for when he gave us a new heart, it just would have been perfect. But he didn't. He didn't. It takes time. And it takes discipline. God's discipline. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. And, I, you know, I always wondered about that. Why? Somehow... Some way that brings more glory to God to see God change us over time than if He just did it in one fell swoop. And it also, I'll tell you another reason, it also keeps us dependent upon Him. Because if our longing is to be like Christ, every time this malfunctions, it drives me to Him. Not just problems around. I mean, those are a given, right? I need to be more centered to the problems in here that drives me to him. When I see an attitude or a, you know, a, a, a desire or something that's not in line with I know the way he wants me to be, it needs to drive us to him. 
when he shows us that. Because we want to be like Christ. We want to have him mold us. And it's painful at times. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. Lifelong. Lifelong. Lifelong process. Um, go back to Proverbs again for a minute. This kind of goes along what we read in chapter 16, 13, in Proverbs 19, verse 11. I don't think we read this a while ago, did we? Huh? Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is glory to overlook an offense. Boy. Just overlook it. How hard is that to do? I mean, I don't mean just some little offhand. I mean, when somebody just really offends you about something, and just overlook it. We think that looks weak, don't we, men? Don't we think that looks weak? Well, don't you take up for yourself? We're, we're supposed to stand up for ourselves, aren't we? Are you going to take that? But how many times do we offend God? Yeah. God lets us. How many times do we offend Why do you see the splinter in the brother's eye and you got a log? And you know, one of the things I, one of the way God deals with me is when I see something in somebody else that probably shouldn't be there, not judgmental, don't get me wrong, but God immediately puts a mirror up here. And it's like, now you saw something in him, I want you to look at yourself. You know, it makes you just want to walk around with your eyes closed and not just see, you know, not see things in other people, not hear things in other people. But that's what God does. He does that because he wants, listen, it's, it's not the other person, it's me. And I can't help that person. And I'll tell you what, I, <clears throat> Because once I see their splinter and God deals with my log, well, I'd be a whole lot more humble going to that person about their splinter, won't I? Because I've had major surgery getting a log out of my own eye. And, and I might still be in recovery mode going to them about their splinter. You'd be a lot more humble about doing it. Because you can't go to somebody else in pride after you've had that kind of thing done to you. You know, and David, in one of the Psalms, I I remember where it is, but he said, let a righteous man strike me and it'll be a blessing. You know, one of the things about maturing our faith is we're open to other people correcting us. 
open to other people coming to us and saying, hey, we need that. Because sometimes it's easier for somebody else to see something in me than I, I see it. Never notice that? It's easier for other people to see your faults than it is your own, than you see them. Because you, we see others, don't we? Okay. Um, well, that's all. Please. Jesus said, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. And so it's not always the big things. It's the little things that, you know, I, I've, uh, I, I wondered a long time why, what really got me was there's a book, um, a book out by a man named William Grinnell. He was a, he lived back in the 1600s and he, he wrote a 600 page book called the, the, um, the Christian in complete in the complete armor of God. Six hundred pages on like six verses out of Ephesians chapter six, talking about the armor of God. Six hundred pages. How could you do that? But the things that he gleaned from that I, were just mind numbing. And I thought, how in the world? Well, I know how. He didn't have television. He didn't have internet. He didn't have email. He didn't have cell phones. He didn't have computers. Any of that. You know what he did have? Time. 
He had time. I, I have all the time in the world I need. And I wonder how much of it I've, I've squandered. And folks, the older you get, I mean, I'm 68 years old. And I think, God, where could I be if I'd have just, I've wasted so much. I've wasted so much. I should be a lot further down, I could be, a lot further along than I am. And thank God for his grace. That's all I can say. God, thank you for your grace. And I, I can't make up for it. But I, I want to use what I have, make a lot better use of it now than I have in the past. Um, all right. Anything else? Input, frustrations, anxieties. Well, thank you all for being patient and listening to um, I might have the tendency to be a little too honest sometimes about myself. Um, I just, you know, I tell you right now, you know, you could put out there on that sign that says Pastor Kevin Wells and Steve Williams, you could put under mine a flawed man because um, I am. Um, you are too. We all are. That's why we need grace for each other, right? All right. Anybody else? Chris, pray for what you brother. Opportunity to pray for self control. Lord, that we could grow more uh, like Christ, Lord, and less like ourselves. Lord, that we would be a light in this world, that we could be salt. 